I'd like to talk to you about tearing down spiritual strongholds. Those are the obstacles that people face that keep them from God. And not only do people in the world that really don't know God have these strongholds, but uh, Christians in the church, they have strongholds too in their life. They have obstacles that they can't get past. And uh, the book of Joshua is, uh, is like a picture book. You've heard us talk about typology, uh, and we've said that Egypt is a type of the world because the nation of Israel was in bondage in Egypt, and that's what the world does to people. Uh, whenever people are caught up in the systems of this world, it, uh, it strangles them. It keeps them captive. Uh, but uh, the Lord delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt, uh, but they didn't believe, they didn't have enough faith to enter the promised land, and so their unbelief cost them. They had to wander 40 years in the wilderness, and that's a picture of our Christian life sometimes. When we don't believe God and we don't step up by faith, we, we become kind of aimless as a Christian, walking around not without any goals or dreams as a Christian. But God wants us to go into the promised land, and so... And so when we come to Joshua chapter 6 and we see Jericho standing there, uh, that's a picture of uh, some of the things that you have to fight as a Christian. Uh, but uh, when you have the Lord on your side, uh, the walls come down. But you can march around them all you want and, and uh, try every trick in the book, uh, but it won't work because uh, we are fighting a spiritual warfare out there, and I'd like to direct your attention to Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went in and none came, none went out and none came in. The city of Jericho was waiting for the attack of the people of God. They were braced, they were ready, they were just waiting for something to happen. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Joshua or Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Now, this is encouraging right here. You shall march around the city, all you men of war, and you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. Joshua, march around Jericho six days, one time each day. The seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpet. It shall come to pass when you make a long blast with the ram's horns, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Then Joshua the son of Nun called the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Now remember the Ark of the Covenant was that box that held the Ten Commandments. It was a picture of the presence of God. And so what they're saying here is when you go up to war, when you, when you begin to fight your enemies, you've got to put God at the forefront. He has to be out in front of you. That's the Ark of the Covenant. And let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. In verse number 10, now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice. 
Now, I find this interesting. Uh, most parents, the most uh, fun game they have with their kids is quiet time, right? It's quiet time, zip up. The Lord says to the whole nation of Israel, now this is going to be too hard to do. The Lord says to the whole nation of Israel, listen, when you march around the city, I don't want to hear anything out of you. You can't talk. That would have, might have been the hardest part of the whole march. He said, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. Verse 16. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her, in the house because she hid the messengers that we sent. Typology is very interesting. Uh, you know, someone said one time that one picture is worth 10,000 words. This is why we, uh, we are a visual society today. We have so many pictures coming our way and, and we learn that way. But whenever you read the Old Testament, it's a picture book. That's why we love the stories of the Old Testament with Noah and the ark. Uh, David and Goliath. You know, we, we identify immediately with the story through the picture. Well, here the Lord is uh, giving us a picture uh, of uh, the Christian life. It's the mature spiritual life. And the decision to live the mature Christian life is your decision. I think probably almost everybody in this room today can look back in your life somewhere and find a time you gave your life to Christ. Uh, you can remember the experience. It was great. It was sometimes euphoric. Uh, and then you said, okay, I'm going to serve the Lord. Uh, but all too often, uh, a person really never does get to visualize their dreams because of unbelief. They don't take their Bible. They don't open it. They don't live in it. They don't read it. They don't obey it. And as a result, they walk around in the wilderness, an aimless Christian life. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you can look back in your life to a time that you were saved, but uh, that's about all that you've experienced as a Christian because of your unbelief. Well, whenever we begin to believe the Lord and act on his word, wonderful things begin to take place. We begin to make spiritual progress. That's what the mature Christian life is about. It's not, it's not about being perfect. We can never do that. It's about growing. It's about getting better as a Christian, following the leadership of the Lord, participating in spiritual ministry, taking down strongholds, participating in the promises of God. Now, chapter 5, which we did not read, is a story of how the nation of Israel was having a time of Consecration. They were getting ready to go up into the promised land and take their first stronghold, which was Jericho. But uh, God was working behind the scenes. Do you think they were afraid to go to war? I'm sure they were. 
But you know, whenever we go to war, we have to remember that God works behind the scenes. It's not all on us. You know, it's not what I can do. It's what the Lord allows me to do with his power and strength. But he's the worker behind the whole project. Uh, God was melting the hearts of the people in Jericho. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now these people in chapter 5, the nation of Israel, they were preparing for the conquest. And the way that they prepared is they looked back. Sometimes it's good for us to look back a little bit in our life. Um, They looked back and so did the people in Jericho. And what did they see? They saw the reputation of the nation of Israel coming before them. They remembered that God led the nation of Israel out through the Red Sea. And, you know, that was quite spectacular because, you know, we talk about the miracle of the Red Sea. God opened the Red Sea. The nation of Israel left Egypt. And then uh, the Egyptian army came after them and they got in the sea and God closed the sea back up and killed the Egyptian army. I read an article on the Internet about a week ago. And there's a writer in Egypt that is proposing to sue the nation of Israel. He wants to sue the nation of Israel for damages that uh, were incurred on the nation of Egypt when God performed his ten plagues. He said the the Egyptians weren't responsible uh, for that, only Pharaoh. He also wants to get damages uh, because when the nation of Israel left Egypt, they took the spoils with them. He wants some of that back. I think he's going to have a hard time. Uh, getting that. But the interesting thing I thought is they're still thinking about it over there in Egypt. They're still thinking about how God flexed his muscles and brought the nation of Israel out of bondage. Now we have a repeat performance here. These people have just come through the Jordan River at flood stage. And uh, the nation of Israel built uh, a monument, remember? Remember? Those stones that Pastor Ken talked about last week, uh, a monument uh, in, in the middle of the river and on the uh, other side of the river. There they are. And that was to be for the teaching of the children. The children were supposed to look at that and ask their parents, what, this, what is this about? And the parents were to say, listen, this is about God delivering us through the Jordan River. And so all of these things are going on in the mind of the people who live in Jericho. And the Bible says in chapter 6, verse 1 of Joshua, Jericho was shut up. And that means that all the doors were locked and the people were behind the doors. And I believe they were afraid. And God put this fear in their heart of the nation of Israel. Another thing that they did is they not only looked back, but they kept the Passover. Right before they were ready to go up into the land and take on Jericho, they, they kept the Passover. The Passover was a memorial service to remind them of their redemption, their salvation. You know, in our life, uh, we are exhorted not to look back very often because you can't go forward looking back, can you? You can't get excited about the future if your eyes always on the rearview mirror. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind 
and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, I believe in that philosophy because in our church this morning, there are plenty of people that have plenty of situations in your past that are painful. And it's not good to go back and revisit those things. It's not good to go back and massage uh, those ideas because they just slow you down and they hurt. And so we look forward and we try to forget those things which are behind, just like Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. But there's one thing that we should never forget and we should always be thinking about, and that's the Passover. That's our salvation. If you're going to look back, look back to the day that you were saved, the day that Jesus covered you in his blood, the day that your sins were removed by faith in Christ and Christ alone. That's what they were doing right here. They were looking back at their salvation. The Lord says it's all right to look back. Then uh, Joshua met the commander-in-chief of heaven's armies in the end of chapter 5. Look at it with me in your Bible, verse 13. Chapter 5. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as a commander of the army of the Lord. Now this is interesting. The army of the Lord. Who is, what is the army of the Lord? The army of the Lord is his angels in heaven. And here we find that he says, listen, I am commanding my armies. I'm the commander and chief. And look at the reaction of Joshua. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. He fell down flat. And he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy. Well, who is this? Who is this person? The Bible calls him the angel of the Lord. He is none other than a pre-incarnated person. Christ, the Lord. Before Bethlehem, this is the second person of the Trinity right here, known in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. And he appears numbers of times in the Old Testament. Before he appears as you know him, as you know him, as Jesus in Nazareth or in Bethlehem. For instance, in Genesis chapter 16, remember he appeared uh, to Hagar out in the wilderness. In Judges chapter 13, he uh, appeared to Manoah and his wife. He's the angel of the Lord. And so Joshua gave the right, uh, he fell down and he worshipped. Now, if this were just a, a regular angel, the angel would have said, get up. I'm not to be worshipped. But it wasn't. This was the Lord himself visualizing himself in this manner. The commander-in-chief. Now the nation of Israel is ready to go into the promised land. The commander-in-chief has come to Israel and conquered Israel before Israel was to conquer Jericho. Now, if you are to conquer your Jerichos, you must first of all be conquered 
by the Lord, you must first of all bow down before the Lord and say, you are Lord, you are my leader. The only way that I'm going to go into battle is with you as my guide. And so everything is now ready. Joshua bows down. He worships the Lord. You know, this is a picture of the church right here on the march. How the church is moving together to, in an organized way to tear down strongholds. You know, we're just not doing what we're doing up here in our hill, up on this hill for our health. We're doing what we're doing up here on this hill to make a difference in people's lives. And this church is to organize itself to come together in unity and in direction and go forth and conquer the strongholds. This is the church. They don't look very formidable here before the walls of Jericho, but this is God's method. Christians are commanded to come together to meet in assemblies, but then go out into the world and take the church into the world. And that's what this is a picture of in the Old Testament. The Lord is taking his church out into the world. And so he gives the message for the conquest in chapter 6, verse 2. Look at it. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. He didn't say, I will give Jericho. He said, I've given it to you. It's past tense. All you have to do is, it's yours. Go up and take it. Now, that was probably pretty comforting. Because uh, I understand through history that uh, in excavations, the, the walls of the city of Jericho were mammoth. There was just no way that they could breach the walls. Well, uh, this is an impossible plan. I'm sure if there were any military men in, uh, in the city of Jericho, they were probably looking down saying, what are these people doing down there? All they're doing is marching around the walls. A very improbable plan. Because remember when the Romans came up against Jerusalem, they built an embankment. They kept putting dirt down. An embankment. And eventually they got this embankment up high enough to just march right up there and go over into the city. These people weren't building an embankment. They weren't cutting off the water supply to the city of Jericho. All they were doing was doing what God told them to do, march around the city. It didn't make a lot of sense. But Joshua had to have faith. Remember, he had to explain this plan. And uh, God could have just like, and the walls could have just evaporated. But God chooses in his, in his way to use people. Now, I don't understand that. If I were God, I probably wouldn't choose to do that. But that's what God does. He chooses to use people in his plan. Uh, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything that we have. But he wants to include us in this tremendous plan of breaking down spiritual strongholds in people's lives. He wants us to be included uh, these people marched around the walls. They didn't talk. I find that most of God's work uh, is not done with a lot of talking. It's pretty silent. It's just living it. Because the greatest sermon is the one that's lived. Amen? We can all talk a great talk. We can use the terms and we get new terms all the time. 
But it's the person who really lives, uh, lives the talk that makes a difference in the world. Well, the miracle of the conquest was the fact that the walls came down. I wouldn't be surprised if Israel was uh, as surprised as the people in the city when the walls came down. I think probably the walls came down to produce a good illustration about strongholds that we're using today. You know, God has different ways to bring judgment on nations and cities. Remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? God said, just step aside. I'll do that one by myself. Uh, but most of the time in the Bible, God uses other nations as, his, as a whip in his hand or a sword in his arm uh, to bring other nations into captivity to, to pass judgment upon nations. God uses people. This is why when we look back through history, this nation takes over this nation and this nation takes over this nation and this nation that once was strong had become weak from the inside and another nation took them over. Well, the magnitude of the conquest was the fact that uh, uh, the walls came down and uh, these people were all surprised. But the thing that most interesting to me about the whole story is the mercy of the conquest, verse 17. Uh, Look at it. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. You know, all of Jericho heard about God, but only Rahab responded positively. Spare Rahab. Go find her house. And you remember the story. They told her to hang a red cord on her house. This is how they were to identify where Rahab lived. And so in the midst of all of this crazy confusion and the walls coming down, Joshua sends somebody to find the house that had the red cord. And the red cord was typical of the blood. Salvation is through the blood of Christ. For the shedding of without the shedding of blood there's no remission for sin. So Rahab had faith enough to throw that cord out her window to show the world that, listen, I'm putting a mark on my house. I know that she was ashamed of her, of her occupation, uh, but uh, God was doing a work in her heart. You know, oftentimes we look at people in the world and we say, they're beyond redemption. They're beyond hope. The Bible is a storybook that tells us that there is no one beyond hope with God. You know, we go out and we look at people and we kind of say, hey, listen, this person's really sharp. They have their act together. Uh, they've, their kids are in line. Everything is in proper perspective. They're living the American dream. God is really blessing them. But I want to remind you of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Do not look at the appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? At the heart. I have to remind myself of that all the time. We look at people and we say, boy, I think they have it together. We have no clue at all if they have it together or not. And it's really not our business, because don't we have enough business of our own? To keep our own life in order first. Uh, in Genesis chapter 15 verse 16. Abraham believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. 
Salvation in every age is just through belief, that's all, not works. And so all a person has to do is believe in the Lord, and that's it, that settles it. They are counted righteousness in the sight of God. Hebrews 7.25 says this, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Someone told me a long time ago that this verse meant that God saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. And I think Rahab is a picture of that. God reached down into a place that people probably thought, well, there's no hope there. But with God, there's great hope for everybody. No one is beyond the grace of God. Now, God not only saved Rahab and all of her house from this destruction, but listen to this. Sometime later, God made a way for Rahab to marry into one of the most prominent families in Israel. Now remember, she's a Canaanite. And so God somehow arranged it for her to be married to somebody, a famous person named Solomon. Rahab and Solomon gave birth to a son named Boaz. Do you remember him in the Bible? Who later married Ruth. Boaz and Ruth, who settled in Bethlehem, became the great-grandparents of King David. Eventually, Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, and the Lamb of God was born into the world as one of Rahab's descendants. Now, how amazing is that? Check that out on the Internet. Ancestry.com. Check it out. Take the life of Jesus and go back and you say, all the way back and you say, oh, here's Rahab. How did she get in there? God said, I'll show you. I can save anybody. I can forgive anybody. Anybody that has a heart for me. It's not what they've done. It's not where they've been. It's not what people think of them. It's their heart. I'll tell you what, God changed her heart. Now, the practical application of this message this morning is this. Is you and I, we're here in church today, and we all want to live the right kind of life, right? We want to make our life count, to have an abundant life, to live a life for Christ. And so that means that strongholds have to come down in our life. In order to do that, we need to have faith in God. We're not looking to... For victory in the world, we're looking to God. 1 John 5, 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, for though we walk by flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That's the only time in the New Testament that word is used, strongholds. Uh, in order for you to go into the promised land, you have to fight the enemy. You have to conquer the land. Now, you might say, that sounds pretty hard. But you know what? Now, listen to this. You know what God says to Joshua? Listen. I've given it to you, Joshua. Oh, this challenges me. I've given it to you. Just go take it. So you're sitting there today and you're saying, can I really do that? Can I, can I be a victorious Christian? Uh, can I live my life for Christ? Can I 
break down spiritual strongholds in my life and in the lives of others, God says, listen, I've given it to you. That's the purpose for your life. We have to have faith, and then we have to obey. You know, a lot of times we come to church and we say, okay, I agree with that, but we, we need more than that. We need to obey what God tells us to do. And then we need to have some courage and endurance. Don't ever give up because God is working in the invisible realm. You know, uh, sharing the gospel message is our calling. We face plenty of resistance, uh, but, uh, but that's, that's our goal in life. That's what we do. The enemy is firmly entrenched. Uh, but none of this deters the Christian warrior using the weapons of God. Go take Rahab out of bondage. Now, I want to challenge you this morning. How many people can you think of that you know are beyond hope? You've said that in your mind. You didn't verbalize it. You said it in your mind. There's no hope for them. Well, listen. If you're their friend, if you're their acquaintances, you're their connection to God. And what you need to do is you need to claim them for Christ. Uh, spiritual ministry begins, though, with you first, not them. Uh, we have to attack the strongholds in our own life. And what are they? They are addictions, abuse, pride, a worldly outlook on life, misplaced priorities. As I find it interesting that the nation of Israel was to take on the hardest one first. You know, aren't there a lot of issues in your life? Can we be honest this morning? There are a lot of issues in your life. Things you're not proud of, things you can't deal with, things that are too hard for you. Sure, we're all in that boat. None of us are perfect. Uh, but but uh, the Lord here is teaching the nation of Israel, take on the hardest one first. That's Jericho. And so I'm asking you this morning to look into your heart and to find the Jericho in your life. The thing that stops you to grow, growing as a Christian. The thing that hinders you from being an on-fire Christian that goes and actually can help someone else. Because you know, you can't help someone else until you first of all conquer the issues of your own life, can you? You can't go around saying, oh, they need this and they need that and they need this. But what about us? We conquer them first. But Jesus says, whenever the church went out into the world, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Victory can be ours if we do it God's way. Now, on your notes, there are four lines at the bottom of your our notes today. The first one is faith. Joshua and Israel believe the battle plan. Now, you can walk out of this church this morning and believe or not believe in what we're talking about. You, you make that choice. The second is obedience. Joshua and Israel followed the battle plan exactly. Uh, I, I think a lot of people thought this is kind of stupid. Okay, just march around the city. Don't say anything. But they did it just like God said. And then they had courage. Uh, Israel followed the battle plan despite the danger. You know, if you follow exactly what Jesus says for you to follow in the Bible, you could get in a little bit of danger. And then the, the most important thing to me is the last word, and that's endurance. Israel followed the battle plan over a period of time, even when it seemed that nothing was happening. Endurance. You know, we live in the now generation, don't we? I want it now. 
we wait at the stop sign and if a guy is playing with the phone in front of us, we're ready to run him over, right? I'm saying, how long do I have to wait? But you know, I, I try not to get too excited because the next stop sign, that's me playing with the phone. Endurance. Israel followed the battle plan. Israel did not rely on carnal, scheming, worldly methods. Their trust was in the Lord. Now, I want to encourage you today. Take on some of these strongholds in your life. Don't let them whip you. Don't let them keep you out of the promised land. What's the biggest one that you face? Take it on first. Say, Lord, I want you to deal with this. I'm willing to obey you. Mary Jane Stephan comes to our church. Many of you know her. She's usually standing out on the front porch passing out Sunday couriers. But you know, Mary Jane Stephan was not always a church person. But she had a neighbor, Mary Jane Anthony, who for 20 years prayed for her. She would invite Mary Jane Stephan to come to church, and Mary Jane would say, I'm going golfing today. She loved to golf. Uh, no, I'm too busy. I don't want to go. But Mary Jane Anthony kept talking to her and kept praying for her in her quiet, unassuming way. For 20 years, she marched around the wall. She endured. And you know, we have situations in our life, and if God doesn't just like do that, we give up. And we have people that need big change in their life, and we pray for them, and we say, I prayed for them for two years, that's it, I quit. But Mary Jane just kept doing it. Come on, go to Bible study with me. Come on and go to church. Well, eventually, after 20 years, Mary Jane Stephan came to church, and she gave her life to Christ. And the walls came down. And she has been so instrumental in this church and in her family and through her friends. Uh, but uh, Mary Jane Anthony trusted in God and lived the victorious Christian life. And so it behooves you and me to live the life not only for ourselves, but for other people who are in bondage. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed uh, this morning, I'd like to ask you, first of all, to look into your heart today. What uh, barrier is there there that's keeping you from God, stopping you from living the Christian life you know you want to live? I want you to lay that out before the Lord and visualize that, that God can bring the walls down in that area. He can break. He can do anything. He's God. But you have to cooperate with him. You, you, have, to, you have to surrender to him and obey him and, and not grow weary. 
And then I want you to think about some friends you know, some acquaintances you know, and they're so lost. And everybody is saying, listen, there's no hope for them. They're not any good. I want you to remember Rahab. Joshua says, listen, the walls are coming down. Rahab's coming out. I have a future. I have a future for her. I, I just have to believe that there are a lot of people out there that God has a future for. If you'll march around Jericho, like Mary Jane Anthony did, and it might take 20 years. Dear Lord, we thank you for this story and the victory of it all and how it just jumps right off the page into our life today. I pray that you will help us in this church to, first of all, tackle the Jerichos in our own life and then go after the, the lives of other people that have been in bondage and show them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's